J.R. Martinez, vulnerability and self-awareness, the key to overcoming adversity and living a fulfilled life. Step into an empowering dialogue with J.R. Martinez, a war veteran, actor, and motivational speaker as he delves deep into his journey of facing adversity and emerging victorious. This interview uncovers how embracing vulnerability and fostering self-awareness was pivotal in helping him navigate through dark times. JR shares his experiences of allowing himself to be vulnerable, developing a strong self-awareness, and cultivating love for himself. He explains how these elements combined with a genuine connection with others can become a powerful force to overcome even the darkest adversities. JR's story is not just about surviving, but thriving, a true embodiment of the American dream. He illustrates the profound impact of kindness and generosity and how these acts of love can transform lives when given and received freely. Learn the importance of respect for oneself and others as JR emphasizes these values as cornerstones of his life's journey. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Let me introduce our incredible guest to you today. J.R. Martinez is an Army veteran, burn survivor, actor, motivational speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and Dancing with the Stars season 13 winner. JR has traveled the world speaking with troops at various bases and serving as keynote speaker for numerous major corporate events, nonprofits, universities, and Fortune 500 companies. JR devotes himself to spreading his message of resilience and optimism. Please help me welcome Mr. JR Martinez. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. 
My pleasure. And the, it, it, the pleasure is really all ours. JR, so I'm excited to have you here. The happenstance, how we came into contact with one another is a story in and of itself, isn't it? So you and my husband ran into each other at an airport as you were both traveling back home. And so what was that experience like? Because I think you're going to be able to tell it way better than I am. So it was hilarious. So I had just finished speaking and um, I was at the airport and you know, listen, I've, I've had many moments over the course of my life in the last 20 years where I've had, I've been in public spaces, obviously, when you have physical scarring, very visible scarring, and not only your face, but the rest of my body, it causes for people to look at you. And so your husband was, was sitting down with one of his coworkers and I could, I was on the phone and, and I was waiting for food and I, I, your husband was, he would glance at me and I would, you know, we'd kind of make eye contact and he'd kind of smile and just kind of wave and, and I just kind of waved back and I just assumed because I just finished speaking that he was with the conference that I just spoke to and he too was flying out and, uh, you know, and just kind of said hello, but I was on the phone and he was respectful. And then at one point after a couple of minutes of doing this, um, it, it, like we kind of made eye contact again. And then he kind of was like, is, is he was trying to show me a coin. That's what it was. He was trying to give me something. And, um, and, 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 and I, I put the phone on hold and I went and walked up to him and, uh, you know, he said, Hey, you know, he, he at first thought I was somebody else, um, which actually happens or not. You know, it's funny. I, I jokingly tell people, and I have a sense of humor and I tell people all the time that when I was injured and I saw my face and my body for the first time at the age of 19 years old, if you can imagine that, um, and seeing your identity completely changed. Mm. The one thing I said to myself was like, well, the one, the positive from this is that no one will ever come up to me and say, you look like somebody that I know. And yet somehow that has happened many times over and over and over where people will come <laughs> up to me and say, did you grow up? Did you go to high school here? You look like somebody I went to school with. I'm like, how is that possible? And then your husband thought I was somebody else. And I was like, no, I'm not him. And I said, but I know who you're talking about. And you know, he's out there and he's doing a lot of great work. And he said, yeah, he is. He's, he's doing great things. He's like, but you, and he said to me, you stay positive, you keep working because it's gonna happen for you too. And I said, <laughs> I appreciate that, thank you. And I just, you know, smiled and I didn't feel like it was the right opportunity for me to say, well, you know, I've, I've managed to create some success for myself or anything of that nature. I was like, I just received it because it was, he was really coming from a authentic place of just wanting to show, you know, love to me. And so I just received that, but, and he said, obviously he said, my wife has this podcast, this show, and we know we interview people and would love to, you know, possibly have you on the show. And I said, yeah, sure. Let's, let's, so we connected on LinkedIn and then he, you know, sent a message or two, here we are. And, you know, it's funny right before we went on, we went live. I, you know, he was obviously, you know, there with you and he popped on and I told him that story about, you know, when he said, you stay positive, it's going to work out for you. And how I was just kind of like, what do I do? Do I tell him like things are working out okay right now? Or do I hold off? I decided to hold off. He obviously said he, when he got home, he realized that, you know, I, you know, the, the sort of the level of success I, I had achieved at that point and at this point in my life. And so it's all good. You know, listen, I think what I love about that interaction more than anything was that there wasn't a focus on the fact that I was the guy that had done X, Y, or Z. It was more of like he, he was drawn to me because he mm. saw somebody that, and this is one thing I realized early on in my recovery is that I realized these scars were a blessing because I can walk into any space, any space, 
people don't have to know who I am. And I know that just by being in that space with physical scars, I'm naturally going to catch people's attention. And mm. naturally, there's this window of curiosity that we all have that's, you know, 10 to 15 seconds where you do a couple of double takes and you stare a little bit and you're just curious. Who is that individual? What happened to that individual? And for me, what I've taken away from that is how can I, in that moment of curiosity that someone is looking at me, how can I leave them with something? And so I just, not that I'm like faking because yes, it takes work, it takes effort, but it also takes a lot of self-care for you to be able to show up in this way. But I, when I step out into the world, I step out with a smile on my face. I step out, you know, kind of authentically and organically who I am. And with the hope that, you know, your husband and other people that I come in contact with can say, hey, I'm connecting with you, not even about all the other stuff. It doesn't matter about that stuff. What matters is that as a human being, there was an energy that pulled me towards you. And I believe in energy exchange. And, and so, mm. you know, we have a funny story and I can give him a hard time about it. But at the end of the day, you know, here we are and we're having a great conversation. And that's what mostly I want to take away from that. Yeah, absolutely. And he's been raving ever since and is <laughs> extraordinarily humbled by the experience and the story. And it is a great story. So you have really taken it has taken a while because this happened at a very young age to where you're the way you show up physically is is drastically altered. And learning how to be around other people. And I love how you said that it has really been a blessing to you because you are given this opportunity to be noticed by people and to have an impact on others more so than just the average Joe. And so I'm curious, what was it like for you? Let's go back a little bit because we haven't even explained to the audience who you are, where this came from. What are some of the beginnings with you, JR? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, and thank you for that because I think it is important when you're talking about my story, at least. I think it is important because people are always curious of how I got from that point in my life to where I am today. And I think what's, in, what's important for me, even when I do keynote, um, is to sort of kind of take people back to a period in my life when I was a young kid and I was faced with a lot of adversity. And at the time when you're going through that adversity in the sense of like moving a lot, my father wasn't in my life. He left when I was nine months old. I was raised by a single mother. Um, I was in communities where I was, you know, I was born in Louisiana, moved to Arkansas when I was nine, lived there until I was a senior in high school and then moved to Georgia. But, you know, during my period in Arkansas, and Louisiana, I witnessed my mom be a victim of domestic abuse. Um, where we grew up wasn't necessarily, I mean, listen, this is a single woman, uh, a single mother um, who is from Central America and has migrated to this country and is trying to do the best that she can with what she has. And, you know, listen, I think there's a lot of, I think parenting is one of the most, if not the most difficult job in the world, I mean, for anybody, but I think when you have limited resources or you feel like you have limited resources, it makes it even more difficult. And so you're, I kind of found myself feeling like I, I was, I sort of identified this later in life, but I feel like my mother and I were both kind of learning about life together and mm -hmm. uh, kind of going through our own journeys. And I didn't realize it at the time, but, um, you know, I, I, I almost kind of had to take a little bit of like a, a little bit more of a, um, independent, mature, responsible, kind of a parent role in, in our home, you know, where, um, you know, my mother has experienced a lot of trauma, has not 
And, I, and notice how I said experience. I didn't say my mother has dealt with a lot of trauma because to me, in my opinion, at the very least, is that you can say you dealt with it. And I immediately say, well, what have you done to deal with it? Um, and, and in this case, my mother has not done anything to deal with her trauma that she's experienced. She's only experienced it and yet just continue to experience it because she has not dealt with it. Um, that's getting into a whole other conversation. But nonetheless, like I, I just experienced a lot of adversity. Listen, I, I felt like I didn't, was it a part of a community? I wanted to be a part of a community. I was looking for love mm. outside of my mother. Um, listen, I'll be completely candid with you and you know your audience that when I was 16 years old, my mother came into my room one day and you know found me crying, sitting at the end of my bed. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, sometimes I think about getting into a car accident because I want to know how many people would show up at the hospital. Now, this is 2023, right? Like if we if we heard a 16-year-old echo those same words, I think most of us are going to respond a little bit differently. My mother's way of responding was to give me a hug, was to tell me she loved me, and to go make me something to eat, which at that time was all I needed, uh, was more than enough, right? But yeah. it's not getting to the root of what the real issue is. And what I realized that I've been craving my entire childhood was this sense of belonging and community and love and unconditional love. And I felt like I just was missing out on that. So there was a lot of those challenges growing up as a young kid. And I didn't feel like I really felt that until I got into my senior high school when I moved to Georgia. And, you know, I know, you know, where you guys are located. And, and I remember a few years ago being in that area, I had, I was there for a speaking engagement and this doesn't happen often enough, but I happened to be there early enough that I just came downstairs and went to the ballroom and I wanted to listen to the program before I went, I took the stage and there was a gentleman who's a chef in the Dallas area and he does a lot of work with underprivileged children. And uh, they asked him how he got into this work. And he said that he was at an event one time and there was somebody he was talking to that was essentially referring to children with very limited resources or maybe not a lot of guidance as throwaway kids. And he says, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, these are kids that, you know, they don't have resources, they don't have guidance, so you just kind of move them along, right? There's really nothing you can do for them. And obviously this, this struck a chord with him and he said, no, I gotta do something, I gotta be part of that solution. So he got involved in that work. But when he told this story, he mentioned the throwaway kids. I mean, it just, it, it was as if somebody just punched me right in the chest. It hit me a certain way because I just, and the reason I realized why is because I connected with that so much because as a child growing up, I was in trouble a lot in school. From third grade all the way to 11th grade, I would get suspended from school for three days, five days, seven days, multiple times, detention. I was not the most, you know, academically, the kid that didn't thrive on that and didn't really put a lot of effort and attention into it. My defense, my defense mechanism was to say, this is dumb, this is silly, nobody cares, and to be a cut up. And we all experienced that kid in that classroom. And, you know, and no one ever interjected from an educational standpoint and said, hey, what's going on? And right. it wasn't until I moved to Georgia my senior year where the first two weeks of being in this new school where an educator stopped me and said, hey, I'm looking at, you know, your transcript. I'm looking at everything. What's going on? And that was the first time someone actually stopped to ask me a question and wanted to legitimately listen to what the answer was going to be. And, you know, who would have thought if you looked at my life from up until I was 17 years old, who would have ever thought that I would be the individual that has this opportunity to be on this podcast with you, that has the opportunity to grace stages all over the world, that has had the opportunity. I mean, goodness gracious, right? But it took multiple people along the way to allow me to feel like I belong, that I matter, that I had a voice, 
that mm-hmm. I was a part of a community, that people did love me unconditionally. And once I felt that, then I just sort of kind of let down these barriers and these guards and these defense mechanisms that I had and allow myself to just authentically, organically just show up as who JR has always been. I've always been this outgoing personality. I've always been this guy that likes to talk to anybody and loves to just get people out of their comfort zone and have a good time. That's always been who I am. That, that was tamed to some degree because of the experiences that I had. But the reason I share all of that is because I want people to understand that I am just a human being. I am now 40 years old. And what makes me more qualified to have obtained the success that I've obtained than anybody else? Just the fact that I just paid attention to the experiences that I've had mm. and, and how those experiences were there to propel me and prepare me for what I refer to as the big boom. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Years old and injured. Sorry, I missed you there. <laughs> and, oh, sorry. As what, you, so- as what you say is the, the big boom. Tell me yeah, a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like here I am 19 years old. I mean, I joined the military after high school. I go to basic training for three months and then, you know, I'm assigned to my unit, which was 101st out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky, um, about an hour away from Nashville, Tennessee. Well, some people probably would say about 40 minutes away, but that's, man, they're, they're, they're booking. Um, but it's, you know, for us, you know, conservative drivers, I would say, even though I have a little bit of a heavy foot, but I would say probably about 45 minutes. Let's just, let's just compromise there. But um, you know, I get assigned to my unit, you know, and, and listen, early on, it was presented to me that we were going to deploy sometime soon. I, at the age of 19 years old, was going to go to war sometime relatively soon. We obviously had troops in Afghanistan already. Mm. We did not have troops in Iraq yet, but there were rumors about us possibly going. And I just sort of naively just told my sergeant one day, like, I'm not going anywhere yet. I'm 19. I just got out of basic training a month ago. I got plenty of time, but it also mm-hmm. reflects that I was 19 and naive. Yeah. And sure enough, two months later, after I arrived in my unit, I was on the plane with the rest of my unit heading over to the Middle East, going to war at 19. And listen, I mean, there's really nothing that can prepare you for combat and being in that environment. Um, obviously, there's extensive training you can go through, but that only simulates a portion of it. Yeah. Um, because you kind of know in the back of your mind, there's some like, you know, like there's a safety net of like, well, this is just an exercise we're doing, a drill we're doing. This isn't the real thing. Well, sure. But I, I never mean, had not... the luxury of having that though. I, I never went through training. I never had that. And wow. yet, not to say that, I, you know, no pun intended here, but I was literally kind of thrown into the fire where yeah. I had to 
deploy with my unit and just rely on the people in, in my unit to kind of guide me. Um, and that in itself was its own experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there you're right. There's nothing that can really prepare you. I I like to refer to a term as, you know, I have a background in law enforcement. You don't rise to the level of your courage. You fall to the level of your training or, you know, what what you have been given as far as your your resources and the things that you have taught yourself or you know or others have taught yourself and it's not usually enough especially when you're going into a war zone and yeah 19 is so young you know there's nothing it really nothing in life at least here not so much in america unless you're in some really heavy uh difficult areas and those pockets that are rough growing up, but there's not much to comp compare to, or, you know, have you experience anything compared to a war zone across seas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that was the challenge that, you know, for me was, you know, listen, I, I mean, we can get into a whole other conversation in regards to, me feeling now mind you at this point in my life i still had not identified that there was some voids in my soul right i'm not mm -hmm. even you know like literally in my soul sure. there were voids and i was i was seeking community and we talked about that and so clearly i probably go into the military looking for that sense of community obviously you hear a lot about that camaraderie the brotherhood the sisterhood yeah. and the bond that's created but i didn't have that luxury to create that bond because Literally six months after I joined, I found myself deployed. And one month into my deployment, I was injured. So seven months after I joined the military, I found myself fighting for my life. And my identity right. completely changed and taken away from me. And what I mean by my identity is that at that point in my, in, in my military career, I had created two identities for myself. One, the identity that I knew that all of us know. When you look in the mirror, you know who that individual is. You can reconnect with that person. You have a relationship with them you know yourself. Um, the second identity that I was creating for myself was me being a, a, a service member, someone in the military that yeah. kind of loved this idea of being a part of something bigger than myself. You mentioned law enforcement, mm -hmm. you understand this, this component of service. And, you know, I was like, Ooh, I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. There's nothing that I've experienced that can kind of simulate and give me this feeling. And I like this and I want to do this forever. Now, I didn't feel like I had the best uh, leadership in the sense of where they were, you know, kind of guiding me. But I also can kind of caveat that by saying, well, I probably was looking for a lot at that age, you know, just because yeah. I was seeking this um, and not the realizing that's what I was are seeking. High. The expectations yeah. are high. And that's why, you know, there was that popular, you know, that popular saying where it's like, you know, we all have to make sure that we heal so we don't don't accidentally hurt other people. And what happens is you go into, if you don't heal and identify and sort of sit in silence and have that self-awareness and do that work to identify those things yourself, all you're going to be doing is putting this excess pressure on every situation or every person you interact with, expecting them to fulfill that void and expecting this situation to fix everything um, versus kind of taking it for what it actually is, which is just this moment that's going to give you one piece of this major puzzle called your life. And so, you know, can, listen, I, I, can I stop you for a minute and go back a little bit? Because you said something that I think is, is 
pretty key. You said just sit with yourself and and be silent with yourself, slow down, stop, and to to do that self-awareness work. Now, I'm curious, was that work done during the time where you were forced to do that based on what had happened to you physically, you know, in war? And, you know, I asked that because I think oftentimes in life, there's something that shakes us, that rattles us so much that the only times that we actually do that kind of work is because of that, those external circumstances that brought us yeah. to the point. Yeah. Well, yes, I definitely did that then. And I still do that now. I think that when you think about life, um, and I was literally having a conversation with someone the other day and, you know, they were talking about, and it was a kind of a bigger conversation, but I'll just kind of like pr provide like the abstract version. But essentially the example that one of the examples he provided was um, he said something about, I, I asked him, I said, it seems like you, you tend to be the, the type that maybe kind of is like glass half empty waiting for the other, you know, and uh, he was like, yeah, 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 you know, I do. And, you know, I tend to worry about this. I tend to worry about that. I, you know, I think about like, oh, business is good right now, but then what happens if I lose it all? And, and I said, and, and if things get slow and thing right now, things are slow, you know, but business was great. And I'm kind of like upset about that and worried about that. And I said, you know, what I've kind of come to learn in my life, at least for me, is that, you know, I've had these moments of great success and things are moving at 100 miles an hour to the point where I'm like, I can't even keep up anymore. I don't even know how efficient, authentic I'm actually showing up. And but I'm doing it. And that is all that matters. And then all of a sudden, natural course of life, things just kind of slow down. Doesn't mean that it goes down. It just means that it just slows down. It yeah. just means that it's it's maybe it doesn't continue to climb, but it doesn't mean that it's going on a decline. It just means that it kind of plateaus and it's just kind of riding. And I've learned because I've got caught in this trap of where it's like, oh, no, I got to get back to that place where everything was at this hundred miles an hour pace and I got to go, go, go. And anything that's below that is now perceived as I'm failing again. And I got to mm. focus on trying to obtain that again. And what I've learned is, wait, no, there's a like everything you did prior to that hundred mile an hour climb prepared you for that climb. Now you have to then go back and reconnect with your work, rejuvenate yourself, take care of yourself. Yeah. And life, life is presenting you with a moment of pause and saying, hey, okay, pause, slow down. Maybe you're getting a little bit of like, and I'll give you an example. So there was a point in my life where I was speaking nonstop. I mean, I think what, there was a couple of years where I had a stretch of being on the road, 250 days plus. I mean, I was everywhere. And that was great. That was amazing. But I started chasing not the impact of, you know, impacting audience members. It was more about like, oh, I'm doing X amount of dates a year. Oh, I'm making mm. X amount of money a year. And then all of a sudden things slowed down and I freaked out. I panicked, which is not JR's nature. And I Finally, after a few months of kind of just sitting still with myself, going on walks, because I'm not the type, my personality, my brain is too busy to sit down and really do the traditional meditation. So I kind of have to do a meditative walk. I have to move a little bit. And sometimes it turns into a run where it's like no headphones, just pay attention to my body, pay attention to what's happening, pay attention to my thoughts. But the same, most of the time I'm usually walking doing that just because I want to really be present. And if I need to stop and write things down or talk it out, I do that. But Essentially, I was doing this uh, for a few months and I just realized, oh, 
the reason things naturally slow itself down, at least this is my interpretation, is because life was saying, hey, you're getting away from your core. You're getting away from your mm. reason. You're getting away from your why. You're needing, you need to get back to that. And then it was also preparing me and telling me, maybe this isn't what you're supposed to be doing you know, for 300 days or 250 days out of the year. This is what you're supposed to be doing every now and then. Maybe there's other things you should be doing. Maybe there's other things that are going to fulfill you. And what I did at that point in yeah. my life was I decided I was 32 years old and I decided, you know what? It's time for me to go to college. I'm going to go to college. And at 33 years old, I started college up in New York City, going to Fordham University. And I didn't speak as much because I was like, oh, I needed to step away. I needed to. And so, again, those moments, we perceive them as like, oh, this is we're being punished and we're not being rewarded and, and things are being taken away from us. But the reality is you need to reframe the way you think about that and say this is an opportunity, an opportunity for me to take, connect with myself, to connect with my work, to connect with why I show up every single day and for who I show up for. And if you do that work frequently, then you'll never feel exhausted or misled. You'll always be operating from your truth. And so for me, it's something I still exercise. I still find moments of pause and just sit with myself or walk with myself and just sort of marinate and think about what is it that I'm doing? Where am I going? Is it the best thing for me to be doing? Um, but again, a lot of us, we're just afraid of that. We're afraid mm -hmm. of the silence. We're afraid of the, the perceived yeah. darkness, right? We're, we're afraid because we it's going to expose things about maybe yeah. our lives or about what we know we should be doing. Like, for example, in a relationship, whether that be with a person or whether that be in a job, most of us are like, I know I should probably put my two weeks notice in. I know I should probably quit because this culture is not right for me because there's no growth opportunities. I know that this relationship isn't propelling me, isn't supporting me, isn't encouraging me. I know that, but it, I'm comfortable. And mm. if I stop and if I think about it and I close my eyes and I pay attention, then I'm afraid of what my natural body and is going to tell me. And what it's going to tell me is like, you know what you should be doing, but you're trying to avoid yeah. it. And so <laughs> it's like, for me, I love those moments. I always tell people, like, and I told my wife this, when we first started, you know, before we were married and had kids. And I told her when we were dating and I, I, I pointed out something and, and, and I said, I believe it's tied to maybe this period in your life. And she was like, what are you talking about? I don't even think about it. I said, you don't have to think about it. I said, mm -hmm. the mind, as like, the mind has forgotten that, 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 but the body remembers the trauma. The body just holds on to all of that. And so when your body is giving yeah. you the pit in the stomach, when it's giving you where you can't breathe or when it's whatever, how it shows itself. That's a sign telling you there's this, there's something you need to pay attention to. Yeah. And literally she neglected it for years. And my wife is, you know, through some, you know, some life things, she ended up going to therapy. And I can tell you that one of the first therapy sessions she came out and she says, Oh my God. And she has this revelation that the therapist who is more of the trained professional, of course, says, well, let's go back to this phase in your, this period in your life. And I was like, I told you, and it was kind of one of those like marital moments where you're like, yeah, point for me. But essentially, like, it was like, see, you can't neglect that. And yeah. most of us just try to breathe through it. Most of us obviously try to repress that and just distract ourselves with other things. For me, I like to sort of lean into that because I know that's, that's, that's where the opportunity lies. JR, you beautifully explain things. Thank you so much for guiding us through all of that process. And I think that 
another one of those key things is that you continue to do the work. It's not just something that you did when you were younger, when you were forced to be knocked down. It's not just every time you're knocked down, but you know, obviously that's definitely a key moment to be like, okay, I guess I need to focus on this because yeah. I'm not feeling quite right. But I think a lot of people think that when they see people that have obtained this extraordinary success in their lives that, you know, it's, or, or they're, you know, living optimally or, or this incredible health or what have you, whatever the success looks like, um, people think it's so unobtainable for them. And they think that, oh, you know, they don't have to really work at it or they did the thing long ago and now they're where they're at. But that's so far from the truth, isn't it? Where it is stuff that you have to continuously work on. You know, you can't stay in an optimal health level or, or, or mental level. And the reality is you don't stay in it in this high level because that's not what life is and so the best thing is to really learn how to navigate life's waves Uh, well the biggest uh, one of the ways that i sort of present that to people is like you know most of us are in a position in our lives where we have to if we want nice things we have to make a payment right like there's a payment plan that comes with that you know you want a nice home where it's like you know well you got a mortgage for x amount of years you want a car where you got payments for x amount of years most of us are in our position. There's very few of us that are in a position where I'm a football fan. And so I grew up loving football. I still love football. And I'll make a reference for those that understand football that, you know, there was a guy, his name is Randy Moss, played in the NFL, played for the Vikings for a very long time. And one time he scored a touchdown and he did a touchdown celebration with a division rival of Green Bay Packers. And he essentially pretended like he was mooning the fans. And so, of course, naturally, here comes a fine for him. And so, you know, so, of course, paparazzi catches him on a cold, snowy day in Minnesota as he's walking out of, you know, the facilities and going to his car. And they said, Randy, Randy, how did you pay for that fine? And he said, straight cash, homie, straight cash. Mm-hmm. And not all of us are in a position where we can pay for things straight cash. Most of us are having a, on a payment plan following that. And the reason I say that is because all of us are striving to have nice things. Let's just use an example, a house for an example. We want to have a nice house, right? Well, Mm. guess what? You don't just make one payment. You don't just all of a sudden put the down payment and now you got the home and everything's good. No, guess what? You have to show up every month and make a payment. You want a car, you want a nice car. Well, guess what? You don't just put a down payment and pay the taxes and do all that. No, guess what? You have to make a payment every month until a certain time. And then you decide maybe I want something else or and you put yourself back into that cycle again. But the point of that is, is if you want to obtain something nice, which all of us want, you have to be willing to make payments frequently. It is not a one-time decision. It is not a $19.99 and you can have this thing infomercial. It is 14 payments of $19.99 and you can have this thing, whatever the hell it is that you're watching at two, three o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep and now something shows up on your front porch and you're like, why did I buy this? But the point of that is, is that this is literally a commitment you have to be willing to make to yourself for the rest of your life. This is not just literally, yes, life and situations will force you in a certain state to be able to, 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 to do that. But let me tell you what I've learned in those moments of pause. And, and this is something, again, I still practice to this day. And I literally said it to my wife. We have an 11-year-old daughter and we have a two-year-old son. And so, you know, here we are. I'm 40. When my daughter was born, I was young. I could run around, like do all that stuff. Now I'm 40 years old and, and we got a son who has 
a crazy amount of energy, wants to get into everything and, you know, challenges us. I mean, and, and it's part of parenting. But my wife the other day, she was chasing him because he loves to run away from her, which she's like, all right, Leo, it's time for bad time or it's time to get dressed or it's time. He's like, he, it's a game for him. He's like, oh, daddy, mama, hi, hi. And he takes off running around the house. And she said to me the other day, she said, oh, I have to carve out 20 minutes now every day when I'm trying to get him out the door to do something because I tried to catch him. Now she's mm. exaggerating. It doesn't take 20 minutes, but you get the point. Sure. And I said to her, I said, you should reframe that thought process and just think of how happy it makes him when you are chasing him, when he's playing this game with you. Mm. You should reframe that this is a blessing in this moment that you get to have that opportunity because pretty soon he started preschool that he's going he's he's going to be going like full time he's not going to be at the house every day for you to be chasing him and you're going to wish you had that moment you see yeah. we're so conditioned that we're trying to we're in in something and we're trying to think of the period in our life when we're out of that thing like oh i can't wait to when my kid goes to school or i can't wait to when my kid goes to college or i can't wait to when my kids are out of the house but then what happens is you're so busy looking forward yeah. that you're not allowing yourself to be present and appreciate what this moment is actually the blessing that it is. And so those moments of pause early in my recovery, what it conditioned me to to do is not only appreciate this moment for what it was to feel. I can't tell you how many times, April, I would sit in my room at 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, and I would just start crying. Like nothing that at least that I can think of triggered me. It was just, I just felt it. You know what I allowed myself to do? I allowed myself to cry. I allowed myself to go there. I can't, and, and in those in that practice, what it taught me as well is in that practice, when I felt like I had absolutely nothing, the thing that I needed to focus on was work on gratitude. I needed to work on finding something that I could be grateful for. In the midst of this chaos where my body's completely scarred, where I look completely different, where I can't even pick up a coin off of the ground because of my hands and the burns, where I had to learn how to walk and feed myself and dress myself and do all of those things. There has to be something. And yeah. I would literally find something. And that is still something that I practice till this day in the midst of, oh, I lost this. Oh, I lost that. I can't tell you how many times engagement people have reached out and said hey we want to potentially bring you in to speak and i'm like hey great that's an event that didn't plan for it's a last minute thing oh that could be some extra income that's going to come in then they said oh we're going to go in a different direction now i look at that i'm like it wasn't it's cool i'm grateful because i got all these other things it wasn't meant to be there yeah. was a reason because it was going to add more stress i mean you can literally yeah. spend all day doing this and i think that that's the challenge and that's the call to action i guess is more of the word the call to action to everybody that's listening or viewing this right now is that I want you to be able to practice this exercise. I want you to find gratitude in the simple things. I want you to find a way to reframe your thought process in your mind around certain situations and say, instead of saying, oh, I got to carve out 20 minutes to chase this boy around, I get to chase this boy around because it took us a while to have Leo, right? There was infertility stuff and all these things, and yet we're blessed to have this healthy, vibrant, little boy, we get to do that. And there's a lot of people that don't get to do that. And life is short and you just got to change the way you look at things. 
JR, it sounds to me like you to your wife is what manly is to me too, really pointing out those moments of what we should be thankful for and grateful yeah. for. So I think that's wonderful. Thank you for being that light for her and for everyone else. And I appreciate my husband doing the same for me. Uh, so I want to take us back a little bit because you you had mentioned there were times when you're 20, 21 years old, I mean, probably if it's fair to say, I have no idea, but maybe some of the most difficult points of your life where you felt so down, so unsure of what life was going to bring you given your new circumstances. But you have this story about a friend of yours who really allowed you to express that express the the crying and the vulnerability and all of the things that you really needed to let out and in order to feel what you were feeling and going through at that time. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the assumption is that when I was 20, 21, 22, because I spent nearly three years in a hospital recovering, the assumption is that those that, that, that the time when I was in a hospital being the most difficult, the reality is they were not. Now, in the moment, of course, they felt like the most difficult, you know, um, phases of my life. But the most difficult part of my life is when I got out of the military at 22 years old. At this point, I had this goal that I wanted to be a motivational speaker. I wanted to get into this space. And I felt like I wasn't necessarily getting... I, I wasn't, you know, again, I'm again, and I preface this clearly i'm still on the search for something deeper and clearly i'm still on this this journey trying to find deeper connection and community and unconditional love etc but i i felt every time that i you know approached people and asked them for an opportunity people just kind of boxed me in and they were like oh we'll just go talk to veterans go talk to military personnel go talk to the burn patients and the burn war, you know, that's where you should be. And I'm like, no, I believe I bring so much more to the table. Why am mm -hmm. I being limited to? Why am I not being seen or heard? And you guys are just allowing whatever biases and, you know, mm -hmm. to essentially kind of dictate you know, your response. And so I felt like I wasn't getting really, a, you know, a fair shake. And all that did was um, trigger a lot of this frustration and insecurity and, anger honestly that i had about you know this is my life now you know where i'm in this because the here's the thing and i tell people this when i and i didn't really realize this until later on when i wrote my book and i remember writing about the three years the nearly three years i was in the hospital and i remember pausing and calling my friend and saying is it odd that as i'm sitting here thinking about my time in the hospital i miss it hmm. and he says no and no it's not odd and i said well, why do you think that? And he said, and he said, well, that's just a reflection of the people that were there that took care of you. And it's true. Yeah. Like, yeah, you could focus on you had X amount of surgeries. Oh my God. But let me tell you about the amount of times that I laughed and I had great conversations with my occupational therapist, Kim or Ted, the time where my nurse, Mike or Bonnie or Captain Estrada came into my room, the time, like I can go on and on about the endless amount of people, Katie Tyrell, Norma, I mean, on and on and on about the people that I interacted with that made me feel like I was a part of something. And I was also in a little safety, safety net. I was yes. in a safety net where I was on a military base where there was no judgment. People saw me for what I was, respected me. Like I was in a little safety net. When I got out of the military and I went into what we call the civilian world, now that was challenging. 
right? Because one, people aren't listening to me. People are now staring at me because I'm not accustomed to seeing this. You know, now there's so much more that I'm being, um, I'm being challenged. Like, how am I going to respond to all this type of attention or lack of attention in some cases? And so, you know, that honestly was the most difficult part because physically, yes, that was challenging. The recovery process, the emotional and mental part of it was the most difficult as it normally is. And I think that unfortunately what happens is that a lot of my friends and colleagues and peers that have served in the military that don't have visible scarring, don't get the fair shake and the same attention that me, that I will get, right? Because I have visible scars. Right. And and and, and then, but on the, on the same, on the flip side of that, people will immediately just say, JR, your physical recovery must've been very difficult. And I'm like, ah, but don't discount the emotional and mental aspect of it because I too went through that as well. So, right, there's, there's two ways of looking at that and you got to be able to kind of understand that. And so yeah. for me, when I got into the civilian world and feeling constant rejection, because that's what I felt it was, all it did was just trigger all this underlining stuff. And I just became very angry. And I just started to kind of, I mean, listen, I'm not happy about this time in my life, but I, I can tell you, honestly, I was drinking. Um, and then because I was 22, 23, 24, I was just I was just battling and I was just surviving, surviving. I was just trying to survive. And literally one night in Indianapolis, of all places, like I, um, with my best friend and some other veterans, we were, we were, um, there for a charity event for a nonprofit that we were working on. And literally I, I remember somebody saying something in the car. We were on our way back to the hotel. We had left dinner. Obviously, people had a few drinks, and I was triggered by something. And somebody said in the car, and I responded in a snarky way. And my best friend, who's driving the car, said, Hey, JR, calm down. You know, just kind of let it go. And I didn't like that he told me to essentially calm down and, you know, chill out. And so I wanted to fight him. I literally legitimately wanted to fight him. And he stopped the car, and I got out. He didn't get out, but. I, I wanted to fight him. And, and I just was in this space where I just, I was not thinking clearly. I clearly was a, just a hurt young man. And I was just trying to take it out on somebody. And what I realize now uh, is, is I was taking it out on somebody I clearly felt safe with. I just didn't know yeah. how to respond to that. Yeah. And so literally we get back to the hotel and everyone gets out of the car. My best friend tells me to sit in the passenger seat and he tells me to cry. I was like, I don't need to cry. And he tells me you need to cry. You need to cry. He's like, you feel physically, you haven't healed emotionally or mentally. You need to cry. And it's, essentially, I started crying. And I and, and it was like all this stuff started coming out that I honestly, I don't think I've ever really paid a lot of attention to. I never don't recall ever thinking about when I'm by myself. And yet all of a sudden these things started coming out. I started sharing. Let me tell you how how important that moment was. So one, the courage and the bravery it took for him to be willing to put himself in a space with a young man that literally just tried to punch a window out of a car to get to him. That's, that's, that's what I tried to do, mm-hmm. but he was still willing to say, I'm not going to run away and kick the can and let a, a throwaway kid. I'm going to lean in because this kid needs somebody. He needs something right now. Yeah. He's 17 years older than me. That's why I say he refers to me as a kid. And I literally, this is how pivotal that moment was. Every time he and I would have a conversation prior to this evening, he would always end it with, I love you. He would always mm-hmm. say, I love you. And I would always be like, yeah, that's weird. Okay, cool. Talk to you later, man. And I would just hang up. And I just never said, I love you back. Because I, one, was never conditioned to hear another man tell me he loved me. My father left when I was nine months old. The men that were in and out of my mother's yeah. life never said, I love you, right? Like, 
it was it, it just never were words that were echoed and so needless to say literally then the after this conversation i'm the first one that goes to him and says i love you now what dan taught me his name is dan dan vargas what dan taught me was he didn't just say hey hey man here's a book on vulnerability go read this book and come back and you know give me a summary and write a thesis on what you you know learn in this book no he pre presented a space and taught me how it's supposed to feel yeah he taught yeah. me what vulnerability should feel like and because he created that space for me i'm telling you april after that my life changed yeah. literally i'm literally gonna say so that happened around august of 2000 and uh we're, we're looking at how i gotta get gotta get my years right it was 2007 2007 right. literally a few months after that i get asked to be in people magazine as one of the five service members that they were going to sort of highlight with the anniversary of the iraq war you know approaching in march of 2008 then after that i get more speaking engagement then a year almost to the day after that interaction i get an email to audition to become an actor on a soap opera called all my children then after that you yeah. know of course i'm on the show supposed to be three months it turns into three years i get asked to go on dancing with the stars i go on dancing with the stars people are assuming that i'm just going to go home week three week four i end up winning the whole competition and now <laughs> i'm all over the world speaking writing the book new york times bestseller my life literally took off once i was willing to lean in but i had to have somebody to show me how to lean in and yeah. show me that it was okay to lean in, that I could do this and it wasn't difficult and I didn't have to do it alone. So the thing that I had been looming for my entire life, I found in my now best friend, Dan Vargas, who I always, every day, tell, tell him I love him. Every day, even if it's like a text, yeah. even if it's a quick phone call, I love you, man, I love you. And I've now have been able to learn how to then show my other friends especially the guy friends, because we guys, we think we're so cool. We think we're so tough. We can't say I love you. And if we say it, we got to kind of say it like in a certain tone and the delivery. And so right. that way it doesn't feel like uh, no one thinks anything. Like, I don't care. I look at my boy, Dan, and I'm like, dude, I love you, man. I freaking love you. Yeah. I taught my other friend that was in the military. Like he and I, I, I told him one day, he was going through a rough patch. And I said, man, I love you. And, and, and you could tell the hesitation and then he was just like, yeah, yeah, I love you too, man. And now we get off the phone and I'm like, I love you, man. I'm like, I love you too, man. And it's yeah. like, that's the way it should be. It shouldn't forget the whole masculine, yeah. feminine, forget about that. Let's connect at a heart level. Yeah. And so my yeah. friend doing that for me has changed my life. I mean, for the better. And I think, but I realized April, that period of a couple of years after I got out of the military, when I wanted so badly to have these opportunities to speak, what I now realized, I wasn't ready. Right. The, right. the things that I was talking about <laughs> at that time in my life, I thought I was ready. Yeah. What it was is was by my desire and that passion and knowing that there was something there. I I was literally every time that I spoke at that period of my life, I was surface, baby. I wasn't going deep. I wasn't being vulnerable. Yeah. Once I really understood how to open up and be authentic and connect with my audiences, now my career took off. Yeah. So, so many things in that. First off, you evoked such an emotional response. I have a little tear in my eye because <laughs> what your story, JR, uh, yours and Dan's story is, is just, you're right. It's that pivotal moment in life where you had this, com 
this human compassion, interaction, connection with somebody else that gave you the space and taught you how to, this is how it works. And, and it is a vital piece to, you know, really being able to be more of our authentic selves and to also lead by example, which you're right, you weren't ready yet to step up on the stage and to be the voice that others needed to hear. And yeah. so it, it's such a, a gorgeous thing. And I also love how you bring in the, the, how we feel as a society um, with the, the role that men feel that they need to play the societal standards based around that and how you don't think that you should be saying, I love you, even though that is really, again, vital for our human connection that we need in order to really evolve us as a species. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is once we start to identify that, that this isn't essentially a weakness, this is an opportunity for us to to grow and to have deeper connection, which all of us are striving for that. I mean, yeah. I think about, you know, I, I, I have a podcast and, and, and I remember interviewing this guy and um, he's, he's from LA and we connected because of a nonprofit out there. And essentially, as I learned about his story, um, you know, he, he was born into a, a, a home where there was a lot of drug abuse and, um, there was a lot of you know gangs and a lot of that violence and um, him and his cousin made a pact and they said we will never allow ourselves to get jumped in but his house was essentially the hangout spot um and so what he would do is he would leave when he got home from school go down to a friend's house and he would hang out there and then mm. come home later that night just to kind of get away from yeah. his house and that space well, one day he goes over to his friend's house and he knocks on the door and he notices somebody closed the blinds. Well, then he goes and he kind of kind of try to peek in through the door and trying to see what's going on. And he notices that the mom of his friend is like telling his friend, don't open the door. So he's kind of like, he goes and knocks on the windows and no, no one comes to the door and he's devastated. And he takes the, the walk back to his house and you know, a couple of his, you know, gang members that were in the, at his house, they see him walk up sad and they they said to him, what's wrong? They, you know, you look like your dog died. They, that's what he, he said they said to him. And, and he said, nothing, nothing. And they said, so you want to get jumped in? And in that moment, he said, yeah. And he mm. got jumped into the game. Mm. And he went down this road of, following you know that that trajectory and that path obviously it, it was incarcerated and you know when he was incarcerated kind of connected with some people and you know kind of turned it around and now he's you know he's out of jail he's been out of jail for a long time and it's kind of turned his life around and now he's like a mentor he does a lot of work with you know a lot of underprivileged children but what i took away from that and what was so pivotal to me was you know, here was this guy that was hanging on. I mean, and he says, I, I realize now as an adult, in hindsight, I was probably overstaying my welcome. But he's like, their house was so normal. I would just go there and just watch TV or play games or mm. run around the yard. And I would go to their pantry and have snacks. And, you know, listen, I get it. I've been that parent as well that has been like, oh, my gosh, the kid is coming over again. You know, it's like <laughs> we need our space as well. But at the same time, it's like you the reason I say that is because most of us don't realize what interaction that we can have with someone that could literally save their life. And imagine if that mom, you know, just said, come on in. I understand what's going on. I understand you're trying to stay away from it. 
you know, like, come on in, hang out. It's fine. You know, imagine if like that would have saved him so much trouble, but that wasn't the journey he was supposed to be on. And, you know, so for me, what it, what it just says that, you know, he was able to identify, like for me, what I was able to identify is that all of us just need that one person. All of us just need that one experience, that one thing. That's all we're, that's all we need. We don't need massive things and, you know, and, and, and we don't need that. We just need little things here and there to sort of guide us and direct us and stick with us. And, yeah. you know, at the same time, he, you know, allowing himself to just open up and, and, and to share that story. And so, you know, it's really cool when you see, you know, men that, you know, have sort of embarked on this journey that allow themselves to say, hey, it's okay for us to, you know, I work with an organization called The Call to Men, and essentially their whole element is to, transform society's view of what manhood is and Mm. the co-founder tony porter talks about this man box and how we're all confined to this man box based on what society's parameters are and yet the whole work of a call to men is to essentially challenge men to get outside of that man box and establish healthy respectful manhoods and you know and 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 helping in violence towards women women and you know, because a lot of us men, not all, not all, again, I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same brush, but a lot of men have a tendency to just sort of carry around again, what I said earlier, this pain, and we end up accidentally hurting other people, but we're just hurting. Yeah. And I was hurting too. Yeah. And I literally try to punch a window of a car to fight my now best friend. And I haven't yeah. punched a window since then because of what my, <laughs> the way my best friend responded and, 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 yeah. and, and, and how, where he met me. Yeah. Yeah. He gave you a lot of a grace and acceptance and, and that's love, you know, when yeah. we are able to hold space for somebody like that and allow them to respond in whatever way they're going to respond to, but still be there for them, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever, and, however that shows up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and listen, I mean, you know, the thing that I, I mean, I've learned a lot of things and I'm still learning a lot of things. Um, but I have just continuously been reminded that, you know, I have to, you know, our, our, our energy is everything and we have to protect our energy. And, and, and I always tell people, you got to focus on what you can control. And if you start allowing yourself to focus on things that are outside of your control, my God, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be hard for you because where your focus goes, your energy follows, right? Like yeah. in, yeah. You know, now now there's clout. Now there's an ability to actually see the beauty in the situation or find the silver lining or practice gratitude and things of that nature. And so, you know, for me, um, and I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it, if I I know I ramble on a lot and I apologize, but um I'm sitting there looking at this and this is a story you. that in this and it's so the way that it was pronounced to me is Amitoba. Amitoba. The story with this goes like this. So, you know, I'm the guy that gets the opportunity to come in and speak to, you know, groups and inspire, motivate, and sort of change the framework of their mind or the way they think about things and et cetera, right? Um, Whatever, however you want to sort of write a mission statement about that. But essentially, that's what I do. And also try to have a little fun and have some comedy involved in that as well. But I remember I was coming back from an event in Atlanta. I actually had just spoken at Delta Airlines uh, headquarters, and I'm a big Delta snob, so that was kind of a big moment for me. So <laughs> I'm flying back to Austin on Delta, of course, and 
all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, April, but just something triggered me on the plane. And I just kind of got into a little bit of a funk. I got out, landed, got off of the plane. I parked at the airport. So I walk over to my car. I don't even text my wife or call my wife until I landed. I'm like, you know, I just need some time to myself. And I get up to the booth and I immediately, um, I pull up to the booth and, you know, they got that arm, you know, where you can't, you know, go through it. I just hand my ticket out. I hand my ticket out. I don't even look at the attendant. I just hand my ticket out like this and I'm looking straight and I can feel that somebody grabbed it, but they not, they're not taking it. So I finally look at the person and it's this, you know, lady and she, um, she asked me, she said, what happened to you? And I said, oh, I was in a car accident. And she said, uh, were you in the military? And I said, yes. And she said, was your entire body uh, affected? And I said, uh, most of it, yeah. And she said, okay. She's like, can I pray for you? And I was like, sure. So she yeah. closed her eyes. She didn't speak. She just in silence. And then I saw her start writing. And I'm thinking, okay, now we're doing the transaction. Okay, whatever, you know. Well, then she hands me a ticket. She hands me this. She says, are you familiar with, which is not the normal process. She says, are you familiar with Buddhism? I said, uh, not really. She said, okay, within Buddhism, there is a Buddhist that we call Amitabha. Amitabha represents infinite light, infinite wisdom. Mm. When I see you, I see Amitabha. And she gives this beautiful explanation about what mm. she sees in me and about what I've sort of kind of meant to her in this, in this short interaction that we've had. And literally, I was like, thank you. And she hands it to me. And literally, I pay. Metaphor of life, that little arm, the gate, allows me to now actually proceed. See, life's telling me <laughs> you can't go anywhere Metaphor yet. Metaphor of life. But at the same time, think about that. What I want people to take away from that is not, the, not what she gave me. I mean, yes, that's important as well. But I had several opportunities over the course of that interaction to essentially shut it down. Like literally, when she asked me, what happened to you? I'm not going to tell you. Was it in the military? None of your business. Was it, yeah. your, was it your entire body? Why do you need to know? Can I pray for you? No, absolutely not. Have you heard of Buddhism? I don't care and I don't want to know. Here's this <laughs> thing. I don't want it. Yeah. So many opportunities. And honestly, so many of us do that. We allow us, close ourselves off from this experience. And literally the minute that that arm went up, I pulled them forward. I called my wife and I said, babe, amitoba. And she's like, what? And I was like, I'll tell you when I get home. And I literally drove home, my windows down, no music. And just like, all of a sudden, this lady that if you look at her, she works at the airport in the parking garage as the gate attendant. Most of us would get caught in the trap of looking at her and saying like, oh, that lady, that's what she does, right? Like, that's what she works. And they would look at me and say, oh my God, JR is the guy that got a chance to do this or that or that, elevate me. But yet, she's the one that gave me the thing that I needed. So my point in that is, ladies and gentlemen, never close your off of an amazing opportunity to feel something, to receive a blessing from somebody else. Because we're so conditioned to believe that every time we interact with something, it's because they want something from us. Because we have everything. So everybody wants something from us. When you should reframe that and you should say, maybe I'm having this conversation because I'm supposed to be getting from them what it is that I need at this stage of my life. Yeah. Start looking at people as people that have gifts to share as well. 
not just you being the one that is always giving the gifts. And if you feel like there's people that are giving you gifts, then maybe that's an opportunity for you to stop, for you to close your eyes, for you to think about where you are, what you're doing, and maybe kind of change the culture that you're in because you deserve that. Oh, that story made me vibrate. And I think that, you know, definitely that that is such an impactful last statement. But I want to ask you, JR, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today? Because you have been such a light and you're full of wisdom and full of love. And I'm so excited to have had you on the show. Uh, well, 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 thank you for that, April. I mean, honestly, I know we unpacked so much and, 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 and I can't wait for this episode to come out because I'm going to go back and listen to what, what it is that I said because I get so caught up and get <laughs> so riled up that I just go and half the time I don't even know what I say. Um, I just get so passionate about this. But listen, I'm just, I'm just passionate about life. And I've been very blessed. Like a lot of people that I know have been very blessed that we have gotten a second chance at life. And what I have identified is that not everybody has that opportunity to get a second chance at life. Mm. And so the things that I'm sharing and the things that a lot of other people are sharing through their own stories and experiences is, is, is an opportunity for you while you're still in your first chance at life to try to apply those things. As a friend of mine who was a POW in Vietnam for six and a half years, his name is Charlie Plum. If you haven't looked him up, you got to look him up. The man is amazing. He was a Navy pilot, shot down, captured for six and a half years. And he said, he says two things that still sit with me till this day. He said, he would say to himself while he was a POW, he said, adversity is a terrible thing to waste. There, what he's saying is that even despite being a POW and there's nothing for him to focus on that's positive, he's like, there's something I'm supposed to be taking away from this experience. What is the lesson? What is the takeaway here? And another thing he shares is he realized that in the midst of the early stages of him being a POW, he was so angry, rightfully so, of course. And he realized and someone said to him, acid does more harm in the vessel where it's stored than on the subject where it's poured. Mm. I'm going to say it one more time. Acid does more harm in the vessel where it's stored than on the subject where it's poured, meaning yeah. you carrying around all this stuff inside of you. Yeah, you could be dumping that on people, you know, innocent people that are just sort of crossing your path and your journey, and you're just dumping, dumping, dumping on people. And yeah, that hurts them. And you know what? Guess what? They're going to decide at some point, this isn't the right space for me to be in. I'm going to kind of go over here and I'm going to leave you alone. The person it's going to affect the most is you because it's just sitting inside and just eating everything you have inside of you. So, ladies and gentlemen, please do not neglect an opportunity to sit here and look at adversity and say, there's something I'm supposed to be taking away from this. Please do not look at every opportunity you have to interact with another human being, with the world, with the tree, with the bird, with something beautiful. Just find yourself pausing and connecting with that energy in that moment. We all have to be willing to actually like stop and pause and be okay with that moment of silence with ourselves because intimacy does not begin with another person. It begins with ourselves. We have to be willing to be intimate with ourselves and understand what that feels like before we can actually show up authentically to be intimate with anybody else. And so I just want to challenge every single one of you to take something away, one thing, one thing from this episode and just try to even if, even if I, the way I explained it, but I just kind of introduced it, it's fine. Go and do some research. There's plenty of things on Google. Like you can <laughs> find out more about it and you can get some exercises and some practices and whatever. I just want somebody to not just say, wow, that made me feel good, or that was a cool story. No, 
there's something to take away from that. Yeah, absolutely. JR, you are a beautiful human being inside and out. And those are my favorite people. So I, I want to make sure everyone knows where to find you and get more information about you. Your website is www.jrmartinez.com. Easy. So for those of you who are listening in, you can remember that quite well. And for those of you who are going to dive a little deeper, find this information in the description below. JR, it has been, again, an honor and a privilege to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show to share your stories and your light and your wisdom and all of it. We are so blessed to have you well, here. Well, thank you very much for creating this this space and this platform for us to be able to have this conversation. Um, you know, again, if I wasn't with you, I'd probably just be goofing off doing something else in the house. And so to me, this fuels my soul. Uh, and so I just thank you for creating this space for us to be able to have this conversation. And, you know, just I'm glad that your husband was checking me out in the airport. And I'm glad. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> no, it was a pleasure, April. Thank you so much. This was this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you. Goodbye.